0: From the EPR Creations studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered podcast. As always, this podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. EPR Creations built ShowTheSafeties.com for me, and if you haven't signed the petition for viewing angles that allow us to see the passing game on television, please do so. Also, if you've not visited the Unconquered Podcast shop, you're missing out on some great climb stickers and Norvell cornrow stickers that can help spice up your life and the lives of those around you. Buy a few stickers and support the podcast. All right, this is the LSU Preview Podcast. The season really gets started on Saturday. Obviously, Duquesne was not going to beat Florida State. That was not a competitive game, and it, and it's as we talked about, it's a good thing it wasn't competitive. Uh, There are a few things that in going back and looking at that, at that game are a little more concerning to me than they were uh, on the first watch, specifically some mistakes on the offensive line. I, I don't think the offensive line played as well on a second watch as what it may have seemed from the first watch. The backs did a lot of things to help compensate for some, some mistakes on the, on the offensive line where guys whiffed or, or they struggled picking up some twists and things like that, that. That's a little concerning coming into this game, and that's the sort of thing that you want to be able to clean up between week zero and week one for sure. So we'll see whether or not those things get fixed or whether or not Florida State's still going to have more trouble on the offensive line uh, going into the remainder of this year. And, and again, that's that's something that uh, that is going to be a major factor in this game. Nevertheless, I still think the Duquesne game represented a nice step forward for Florida State because of the way that they basically double tapped an inferior team in the first quarter, which is something that they have not done in a very, very long time. I mean, that's a game that might have been competitive or at least would have been more competitive last year. It just would not have been uh, quite so 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 easy looking for, uh, for this team last year. So good step forward. But well, let's go ahead and get to the LSU preview. Uh, first things first, I think this is a very, very difficult game to project. I mean, these two teams still have so many unknowns. LSU has a ton of talent, but they did not play up to that talent by any stretch last year. And the culture kind of fell apart in Baton Rouge uh, over the uh, Cookie Monsters last couple of years. And you just wonder how quickly they're able to build back that culture. And they took a bunch of transfers. You think Florida State's transfer heavy. I think they took 14 last year. I mean, that's that's a lot. And they're going to be depending on those transfers to to plug and play in a number of places now, not all of those transfers are going to be are going to be playing right away, but you look at the cornerback position that entire cornerback room is just like Florida State's receiver room where they're depending on a bunch of transfers. You look at the offensive line they've got some transfers there you You look at some really key spots and these teams are kind of like a mirror image of each other in certain ways in terms of trying to build through the transfer portal, make up for some uh, some of those issues that had crept up in the prior regime with judicious use of the transfer portal and, and really depending on that. So I think that makes it harder to evaluate a team year to year when you have a bunch of those additions from outside that are expected to play right away, because you just don't know what they're going to look like in their new in their new context. And then with LSU, you add the the fact that Brian Kelly and a new staff are on campus and Again, that makes it much more difficult to assess in what's going to happen for LSU, what they're going to look like, what they're going to do, how that personnel is going to fit with the with the coaching staff. It, there are just a lot of unknowns in Baton Rouge, and again, I'll, those of us who followed Florida State closely know that there's still a lot of unknowns coming into year three with Mike Norvell. So this is a very very difficult game to project, and it's one that I'll do the best to go through what I I think, but. There's not a whole lot that we really know coming into this game, and 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 so this is gonna be a game that's gonna show us a lot more than we than we knew coming coming into this game about both teams. Now the first thing I want to do is is talk about what to expect from Brian Kelly and that new staff, at least as far as we know and what we think we know about the various people on that staff. So this segment brought to you by Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. As always, Lewis is the best in the greater Jacksonville area. If you have any real estate needs in the greater Jacksonville area, give Lewis a call. His informations in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Now, as far as Brian Kelly's new staff, first things first, the offensive coordinator, uh, also the tight ends coach there is Mike Denbrock. He came over from ten, from Cincinnati where he had a lot of success last year. Took him to a uh, college football semifinal berth where they had Essentially no shot against that Alabama team, but developed Desmond Ritter as a as a quarterback, really really did a lot there uh in terms of what they what they were able to do offensively. They averaged what thirty almost almost thirty-seven points a game, thirty-six point nine points a game were very much uh a quality offense. And Denbrock is someone who is really from the Brian Kelly tree offensively. I mean, he worked with Kelly going all the way back uh, to Grand Valley State. He was with him for seven years there and then was at Notre Dame for seven years with Kelly. So what that means is Denbrock is really running Kelly's offense. So this there's a lot of familiarity there. Uh, that means you kind of know in certain respects what you're going to get because Kelly does have a distinct offensive philosophy. He's always been about getting vertical stems from spread formation. So he, he likes to do a lot of three by one type stuff, do a lot of uh, 11 personnel, a lot of 10 personnel where he'll go, he'll go uh, with four, four receivers though, though he's uh, in recent years, especially at Notre Dame doing more uh, with, when you got a, a guy like Michael Myers, you'd, you'd better have that tight end on the field. So doing more, Uh, 11 personnel. They did a lot of 21 and and 12 personnel last year, two backs, one uh, tight end, two tight ends, one back. They did more of that stuff given their personnel and how they built that out at Notre Dame, but still a lot of the same principles. And it's, again, vertical stems, getting upfield aggressively, use those verticals to package with out routes to to create some natural rubs, uh, getting some some, uh, flood type concepts, that sort of thing. Basically, the idea is to make a lot of things look similar off the line of scrimmage and then create some one-on-one matchups where you're going to try to get essentially teams into more or less man-to-man concepts and then find your best, your best advantage and then get the ball out of your quarterback's hands quickly. So they don't take a lot of deep drops. They're going to use the play action pass stuff, but when they, when they use that, especially when they've got a mobile quarterback, which they prefer, they're going to get their quarterback outside the pocket on the edge some uh, to to use some of those things. And then they're going to package a lot of that with inside zone based run scheme and inside zone read when they've got a, a quarterback that can run it becomes a core run concept for them. And they'll run a lot of other things. I mean, they'll run some power and counter and all of that, but they're not as varied in the run game as, say, Mike Norvell is, uh, though. Again, they'll run basically the same stuff. It's just they're not quite as uh they don't tend to be quite as as robust on some of the gap gap blocking concepts as Norvell uh, Norvell is. Um, they'll build a lot of arrow and flat routes into their play action tree and, and into their into some RPO type stuff off of some of the inside zone action. So they'll use those H backs and bigger receivers to kind of come across the formation and in a uh, split zone type look and then slip out the out of the backfield into the uh, arrow route into the flat oftentimes with packaged with some stuff beyond that. And then the quarterback is going to have the read of the end. He can give it and it turns into a kind of triple option. So they'll do this. A lot of a lot of teams do this. But again, that's a that's a core staple of what they do in terms of the uh, the Brian Kelly offense. And they're going to run a lot of overloaded formations. That's just what what Kelly believes in. So they're going to be in a lot of three by one nub sets, things like that. Kelly wants to isolate his best receiver in a one-on-one on one one side and then get numbers to the other side and and basically ask the defense to choose. Do you want one-on-one matchups over here where I might be able to find some advantages in, let's say, a three-by-one? I got three receivers to the field and I'm going to overload your coverage there so you can either match up one-on-one out there And I might find one matchup out of that that I like, or you can slide your coverage a little bit. Now I've got a one-on-one with my best receiver against your coverage guy on the boundary, and we'll see if you can cover one-on-one there. And this it turns out that this is a really good setup for someone like Kayshawn Boutte, who is a really, really difficult cover when he's in a one-on-one situation on the boundary. So that's going to be something that they're going to do right away. Uh, in terms of schematically, just in terms of their their philosophy, it fits well with some of what LSU has at the wide receiver position there. Uh, so on the defensive coordinator side, linebacker side, uh, Matt House is the defensive coordinator. Florida State has has faced him before. Florida State fans are familiar with him. He was the pit defensive coordinator back in 2013 when uh, Jameis and that 2013 offense shredded that pit defense with Aaron Donald and, and the rest. But uh, he, he was there. He also uh, was the defensive coordinator at Kentucky in 2017, 2018 under Mark Stoops. So some familiarity with some of the stuff, the, the sorts of things that he's going to run. I mean, he's coming out of that kind of uh, Stoops approach to defensive football. And then from Kentucky, he went and became the uh, Kansas City Chiefs linebackers coach the last three years and won a Super Bowl with them. Uh, it's gonna help be helpful in terms of of uh of recruiting, I'm sure. But uh won a Super Bowl with them and he's essentially gonna run a hybrid front with a Jack. So they're gonna have three true down linemen and then they're gonna have a Jack, a you know, hybrid rush end outside linebacker who's gonna who's gonna be their primary designated pass rusher, but is gonna drop in coverage sometimes. And that's obviously gonna be BJ ojalari Guy who might be an All-American this year or would be an All-American if there weren't a pretty good player at the same position at Alabama, but uh, really good player there. And they're going to they're going to take a pretty flexible. He's pretty flexible in, in his coverage approach. They're going to match. And I would expect in terms of uh, of what they're going to do early this year, in particular, given their the athletes that they have at LSU and all of that, and the fact that so many of these guys are transfers, I think you're going to expect a lot of man free and match three to think to keep things simple with this group. I think given what what they have personnel-wise and, and sort of his proclivities, you're going to see he's going to give some one-on-one matchups to you on the outside, and he's going to turn his front four loose and then bring that extra safety in the box as often as he can to chase Jordan Travis, which you're going to hear that a lot from, from teams that are going to play Florida State, is that they're more afraid of Jordan Travis in terms of his legs, they're going to force him to beat them with his arm. And I think that's what you're going to see more or less from Matt house in this game. Uh, they're going to, they're going to basically go with some simplified coverage looks and try to take away Florida state's run game and, and, and Travis ability in, in the, uh, in the quarterback run game. That that's what, what you're going to expect there. So coaching wise, I think we have a pretty good sense of what they're going to do. I, I don't, know exactly that we have a great sense of how it's going to look. And that's that's the real issue here in terms of, uh, of adjusting to this new mixture of, of coaching staff and personnel. Now, we're going to go ahead and look at how the, how the two sides of the ball and then special teams match up. I'm going to start with the LSU offense against the Florida State defense. And this segment is brought to you by Shenandoah Newsman of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, If you need any real estate or have any real estate needs in general, in the Greater Research Triangle area of North Carolina, Shenandoah is the best in the business. You can find her at Shenrealestate.com. Tell her you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So when we're looking at that LSU offense against the Florida State defense, I mean the first thing is the quarterback position and the quarterback competition has gone deep into camp and of course Kelly knows who they're going to start but they're not announcing that they're you know trying to get whatever little advantage they can by by not announcing what essentially everybody knows it's one of those things that lots of coaches do i'm i've always been very skeptical about how much of an advantage that actually gives you i mean thinking about this in terms of preparation florida state's going to prepare for what they think LSU is going to do. And I don't think that's going to change a whole lot, regardless of which quarterback is on the field. Uh, what the quarterbacks are capable of is, I think, a little bit different. But I don't think they're going to call the game all that differently for either one. So I don't think it really matters <laughs> matters in terms of announcing it or not. In any case, it's going to be either Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer. I think Daniels is going to be the guy. Nussmeyer is a really strong-armed young guy. More of a push the ball downfield type. Wouldn't be surprised if he if he played a little bit in this game, but I don't I don't expect it. Not unless uh, Daniels really struggles, but, you know, Nussmeyer is a good prospect for later on. He's still young. He's still learning a new offense and all of that, but uh, is a good prospect. And again, kind of a gunslinger is 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 how you'll hear him described. Big arm really can push the ball to the outside parts of the field and, and down the field. Uh he played some last year, but uh, they they were kind of a mess around him, and he, he played well. He made some big-time throws, but uh, but again, it's hard to measure based on anything from last year. So what we do know, very good physical talent and and probably a pretty good prospect moving forward. But in my view, Daniels is almost certainly the guy. They're, they brought They didn't bring him in to sit, first of all. And second of all, they're going to want to use his legs against Florida State's defense. Daniels does have a very high ceiling. I mean, I I thought he might have been, you know, one or two in terms of the best quarterbacks in the country coming out his senior year of high school. Uh, That was the Sam Howell, uh, Spencer Rattler class, which was not a super good class, but he was one of the best in that class and is a guy that is a true dual threat. He's a guy that can uh, really hurt you with his legs. And actually in his time at Arizona State, his freshman year he he was a really good thrower and and made plays with his arm and then his the next two years really became more about his legs partly because the supporting cast in terms of receivers and in terms of just the overall organization at at Arizona State was not as strong around him so he he ended up being one of those guys who would pull it down and run more often because he could make plays that way and that actually has to be pretty concerning for Florida State coming into this game because he he does have the capacity to make all the throws. He he can make every throw. He's got a strong enough arm. He can throw on the move. Uh, he, can, he can throw the deep ball well, can push it down into the seam, throws those outs well, all of those things. The issue with him is not that he can't make throws or that he's physically limited. I mean, he throws a tight ball, but some of it's decision-making. Some of it is periodic inconsistency with accuracy that have led to some turnovers. And that's something that Florida State's going to count on in this game. Can they get him uncomfortable? Can they get him in a new offense to make some throws that are just a little bit off that sort of thing, and then wind up being being picked? That's really where what they're gonna what they're gonna hope for here. But I I expect to see him be the guy, partly because I expect to see them run a lot of zone read, and then that zone read slip play where they're trying to get somebody out on the edge and and give him an easy throw with some big play options behind it. So you run the post from the other side, you've got, you know, someone coming coming in the uh deeper out situation behind that or a corner route behind that flat route that you've got in front of him and then if he doesn't like either of those, he takes off running. That's really what they're they're going to try to do and it's going to be imperative that Florida State handles the edge well. that That's going to be really important because I think that Notre Dame is going to challenge that edge quite a bit with, with uh, Daniel's legs. That's something that uh, I think is one of the keys to this game is can Florida State's ends, whoever that is, whether that's Jared Verse, whether that's McClendon, whether that's Briggs, whoever is on the edge, can they hold up and find ways to contain Jaden Daniels and keep him from getting out on the edge and being able to make plays with his feet. I mean, you, you just do not want him in those positions. And the more they can keep him from getting the edge and the more they can uh can shut that down so that when he has the zone read type look or or the play action type look and and tries to get that edge, that all of a sudden he's got somebody in his face and he's you know, got a fade back and all of that. If he gets to the edge and he's able to to do some things with his legs and have some some options to throw or pass on the, as he's outside the pocket, that is very bad for Florida State in this game. That, that to me is one of the most important pieces of this game. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on Florida State's edges and linebackers with that action. Uh, I, I think that that's what, where they're going to focus a lot based on what I see of LSU's personnel and what Kelly has done in the past. Now, the good thing here is that when you look at how Florida State defended those kinds of concepts against Duquesne, they were really sound. Fundamentally, I mean, there's the one play that was posted up on on Twitter uh, by one of the senior bowl folks, I think it was uh, Nagy, that that posted it up looking at, uh, at Tatum Bethune flying out to to stop the 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 run and you look across the florida state front there and you go wow they they actually every player here is actually doing their job and playing with discipline you see jared verse with good hand position on the edge and he forces that to bounce you see bethune recognize that the ball has been handed off and then take off with a great angle and then when you look at the opposite side you see a backup you see Peyton at defensive end, and he is in exactly the right spot. I mean, he's got his shoulders and hips square, and he's watching all the way until that ball is clearly gone, and he's in position to make the tackle on on the quarterback. I mean, you have to basically have Lamar Jackson uh, to to do anything on the edge with where he's situated. So, I mean, that's a perfect job up front, and they're going to have to do that play after play against Notre Dame. Because Notre Dame is going to really test those edges and see if they can get that edge. And the more they, those those end, ends can stay square, first of all, that makes that an obvious give-read for the, for the quarterback. So that prevents the quarterback from pulling. And then secondly, if the quarterback is going to pull that, let's say it's a called pass where you have the, the little slip off of that, that's going to be difficult for the quarterback to get outside. So... The positive here is that what we saw from Florida State's defense is that they, they've they improved in some of those areas. The question is, can they ex- execute that consistently against LSU? And when you have the split zone coming out there, that complicates things because, again, when you've got the H-back slipping into the, into the flat and all of that, you've got pressure on another player there. So they're going to have to really make sure that they're clean in all those areas. Now, I also think that LSU's, Offensive line decisions are telling in terms of who they picked for their first team and just how that mix works. So they they did a lot of experimenting with their line uh, packages. I mean, uh, from what I understand, they at one point had essentially an all guards lineup, where you know it was it was the kind of we're going to mash you lineup, and they experimented with that. But ultimately, the uh, the lineup that they went with has five guys. That have all played tackle. So from center to guard to tackle, all five guys are former tackles. They're all guys with really good mobility. Now they're big. The smallest guy is Cam Wire at 6'5, 295. The rest are 6'5 plus, 320 plus. So it's a big group. But basically what they're doing is they're aiming for length and guys who are mobile enough in pass uh in pass set type stuff. They're gonna they're gonna be Airing this ball out this year with, with what they've got, I expect them to throw the football a lot. And again, they're even in the run game. They're, they're, uh, they're working towards using that length and all of that. That's helpful in the zone game, which I think you're going to see a lot of from them. So I think they're going to air it out based on just who they have at receiver. Obviously their receivers, their receiving crew is as good as any in the country among the best receiver cores in the country. And you know, you're you're kind of a fool if you don't air it out with those guys. The question is, can they get the consistency at quarterback that they want, and are they going to be able to get protection with those five starters on the offensive line, including a true freshman who is a stud at defensive or at at left tackle against some defensive ends that can that can play with Florida State and in in, in in the SEC. So, and you know, can can Cam Wire hold up at, at the right tackle spot? Is 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 also you know a question in terms of that? So. I'm I'm curious to see how that's going to work out, but I think it's pretty clear based on personnel what they're going to do. Now, what personnel packages they're going to use is a bit of an open question. I mean, again, Kelly sort of moved to more 21 two backs one tight end and 12 personnel with two tight ends at Notre Dame in 2021, but LSU, especially with Emory out uh in this game, is is thin at at running back. So I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of two backs on the field. You're going to see a lot of 11 personnel. Uh, I don't think you'll see a lot of two tight. Uh, Jason, Jason Taylor's kid, the tight end is going to be a star, but they're, they're all everything tight end transferred to Georgia this year to be Georgia's one of two tight ends that are Georgia has probably the two best tight ends in the country on the same roster right now. And because he transferred out from LSU, which sort of an odd choice, given that Kelly has used the tight end so well at Notre Dame. Uh, I think that's a weaker position group for LSU coming into this game in terms of having guys that you trust and guys that that have done it before. There's uh, there's some talent there, but I don't think they're going to use a whole lot of two tights in this game. I think you're going to see a lot of 11 personnel getting three receivers and, and, and a lot of uh, of uh, 10 personnel where you're going to have four receivers uh, in, in this game. I think you're going to see three and four receivers a lot. And I think you're going to see a lot of unbalanced lineups, a lot of, uh, of strong, very strong to the field lineups with three receivers to the field, one to the, one to the boundary, two receivers to the field, one to the boundary, and then an H back somewhere, you know, those sorts of things. I expect to see a lot of that. And they're going to try to get Boutte into those one-on-one matchups on the boundary. And it's going to be imperative for Florida state they have to get their hands all over Boutte. And that's easier said than done. I mean, Boutte can be pretty slippery, despite being a bigger receiver. I mean, he's a guy, he's he's tough to get your hands on, and and whoever's responsible for him, and you're hoping that that's a pretty close-to-full-strength Omarian Duke-Cooper in this game, is going to have to be physical and be able to handle his physicality. Otherwise, that guy's going to make big plays in those one-on-ones. And that's, that's going to be one of the keys to this game. I mean, really, this matchup to me comes down to two things on this side of the ball. You can argue for a third, but I, I think I think we know that LSU is going to have some trouble just lining up and running the football against Florida State's front. I think Florida State's front is pretty good in, in uh, on the interior at those defensive tackle positions. So assuming that that's a pretty probable outcome, I think the other things, I think what it comes down to, is can Florida State hold down Boutte, and are they going to be able to hold up on the edge against Daniel's legs and all of the little arrow routes and out routes and so on that they that they're going to see? And you know, one other thing to actually add to this one one third aspect to this matchup is Brian Kelly is one of those guys who's going to go for it on fourth down a lot. I mean, Florida State fans know about this from the 2014 game where. It was infuriating to watch how he would use a lot of these shorter passes and and patient run calls and so on on third down to get fourth and short, and they got a lot of fourth down calls that kept that game close, kept getting it on fourth down. Florida State's going to have to be aware of that and be able to handle some of those dink and dunk passes. And I mean, I think you can put this another way. Can Florida State keep LSU, and again, especially Boutte, from explosives in the passing game? while also then limit, limiting the dink and dunk stuff off of the zone read and, and play action quarterback on the move game. I'm pretty confident they can limit the basic inside zone and outside zone and inside zone read stuff, you know, those sorts of things. It's really the dink and dunk passes off of that that concern me. LSU is going to air it out. They're going to get Daniels on the move. And I think really what you're going to see from LSU this year, they're going to try to look like what Notre Dame did with Tommy Reese at quarterback. So if you remember, Reese made a lot of plays with his with his legs. And he, he did a lot of things that, that were really frustrating for defenses by basically keeping plays alive. And you could be really good in coverage, but it didn't matter. Reese would keep that play alive, and then that would be that and that's what Florida State has to avoid on defense here. I think that's the that's the key defensively for 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 the Noles coming into this game. Now, in terms of expectations, you know, I think if if Florida State holds them to let's say 5 yards per per play, 5 5.2 yards per play, that would be that would be success. But we'll see. I think that's a tall order against a really good group of explosive wide receivers. So now we're going to flip it over and take a look at the LSU defense against the FSU offense. And this part of the program is brought to you by Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Information in the show notes. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered podcast. They will make sure your garage is the envy of the neighborhood. So in terms of the LSU defense against the Florida State offense, the LSU defense, first of all, I mean, one thing, the the one thing we know is that this is one of the best defensive line groups in the nation. There's there's no question about that. They've got a bunch of talent. The Cookie Monster recruited this position really well and they've got a bunch of talent and they've got depth. And you know, the stir that or the straw that stirs the drink is going to be BJ Ojolari at that at that jack position. He he is really impressive. He gets upfield really quickly and he's going to be a problem for Florida State's offensive tackles. Now, I think Robert Scott is better equipped to handle him I mean, than what you've got on the other side. I think Scott will probably hold his own reasonably well there. But the other side with with Turnitin there, I think is going to be one of the keys to this. I mean, how much is Turnitin going to be able to hold up on the edge? That's that's a big question, because he's also going to be facing Mason Smith over there. Uh, there there's that's going to be this is going to be a tough matchup for Florida State on the offensive line. It's one of the better defensive line groups that they're going to play. I mean, they're not quite as as dominant, I don't think, as the Clemson group, but they're in, you know, they're in the a comparable tier. This is a, a really talented group. And I, I see people pointing out that, yeah, Mason Smith, you know, most of his damage came against an FCS team last year. He struggled a little bit in other games. You know, why is it that you're seeing all this hype or whatever? He was a true freshman. And the talent is there, guys. I mean yeah I understand why the hype is there when you when you have that size and those movement abilities and all of that you're you're going to be difficult to block, and he's just now off of his learning year, so you know you they expect this to be his breakout year, and it's going to be a tough matchup for Florida state and then you've got Jaquell and Roy on the inside, and again, a pretty good defensive tackle there i I don't think he's actually any better than than Florida state's defensive tackles. I may be wrong about that, so the interior for for Florida State is used to facing guys like that. But again, it's not like they've had a ton of success facing guys like that in practice themselves. So one thing I do think you're going to see from Norvell in this is there's the old adage, if you can't block them, option them. And I do think there are going to be uh, a number of, a number of times where you're going to see them give Ojolari things to think about and to slow him down. They're going to read him. They're going to do a lot of those those sorts of things to him. And I, I do think it's still worth noting. I mean, I th- I expect this to be a big year for Mason Smith, and I think he's gonna be a problem. He's gonna get some tackles for loss in this game. But he did get pushed around on the interior at times last year, and, and he's six six, and you can see that there are times where he has trouble keeping that pad level down. And when he gets gets to standing up, he's he's six he's three hundred pounds, but he's six six and, and, and is not quite as lower body heavy. As some of as some of these guys are in the interior, and so you might be able to to run at him at different points. That's something they'll. I'm sure they're going to experiment with. They're going to test. Now the problem is, you may run at him, and you may discover like, oh, he's fixed that. <laughs> they're they're now. That's not. They're not. You're not pushing him around anymore. And now you're going to have to try to you know figure out what else you're going to do. But I would look at that. I mean, can you run power on him and see if you get maybe a little push that you don't get. Uh, against somebody that's, that's playing a little lower. So that's something I'd look at. But really, to me, the back seven is where the vulnerabilities are for LSU. Their linebackers really struggled last year. And that's both against the run and against the pass. They struggled covering tight ends. They struggled covering running backs out of the backfield. And there were a lot of gap soundness issues among that group last year. And they, they triggered uh, slowly. They triggered into the wrong holes at different points they gave up they gave up some plays because those backers struggled now the question is is that going to get fixed with better coaching with more cohesive defensive coordination it might but florida state has also over the over the years had some linebackers who've gone through multiple linebacker coaches and multiple defensive changes and that guy just can't trigger and hit the right hole with consistency it's just It's a very instinctive position, and some guys can do it, and some guys just don't do it as well. So that's an unknown. But I'd sure want to find out if I'm Florida State. I'm testing that, and I'm getting those guys isolated in coverage where I can. I want to see what happens when I target those linebackers and put them in one-on-one responsibilities, whether that's in the running game or the passing game. I want to see how they match up against my running backs. That's where I think, really, Florida State knows they should have an edge. The question is how much. And then, you know, LSU has three solid safeties. Jay Ward, Major Burns, Joe Fouch- uh, Fouché, they, they're all good players. Fouché, a, a transfer from, uh, from Arkansas. Now, Ward and Burns are both under 190 pounds at safety. So that's interesting. And they're going to they're gonna play, you know, those are coverage guys and they run really well. But one of the things I look at there is I want to make those guys tackle. I want to make those guys play in the box and come up and have to hit a guy like Benson. See what happens. See how that See how that looks. I want to make their safeties tackle in the box. And I think they're going to have a safety in the box. But again, that's, that's sort of the strength of their back seven is the safeties. They, those guys can cover. Now, the other real question mark for them is the cornerback position where they have five transfers at corner. Five. and that includes a lot of talent seven banks was a third team preseason all-american going into 2021 and then hip and knee injuries slowed him down and you know he was planning on going to the nfl after 2021 and then just didn't have the year that he expected to have partly because of injury and by the time he sort of worked his way back from injury he'd been passed up at, at ohio state so he transferred out and now he's at lsu and He's still, ha- he's still not 100% from what I understand. So at 100%, you look at that and you're like, well, they got one really good corner. But if he's not 100%, that changes that a little bit. But, you know, six two two o five and can play when he's healthy. But how healthy is he? Now, one guy that you know is healthy and is a really good player is Jarek Bernard Converse. And he's a guy that's the, the transfer from Oklahoma State. And he was an all-Big 12 type guy. So he can play. Six one two oh five is going to match up well with most receivers, but and you know he's not going to get not going to get uh, outclassed size wise by anybody. But maybe Johnny Wilson and it's an open question of whether or not Johnny Wilson's going to be able to play at all in this game. He was really not available most of the week, from what I understand. So, you know, if, if Wilson's not out there, you you don't have a huge matchup edge at any of these spots. Colby Richardson is probably the other starter at the uh, at the corner position, and he's a McNeese State transfer, and it's turned out that he's come at, come in and really impressed him. So you're looking at a guy that's making a big step up, but he's managed to handle some of the receivers that they've got, and you'd probably take the top four receivers from LSU before you'd take any of the ones at Florida State right now. So these corners have been thrown into the fire, and they've been competing with really good wide receivers over the last few weeks. Question is, are they going to be able to handle what they see from Florida State with the lights on? Or are they going to get beat? It's more like what they've, you know, had trouble with in in LSU's practices, but these guys can compete and they've got good size. And then the Arkansas transfer, Greg Brooks at nickel, a guy that, you know, it's a consistent player, good player. And again, you're going to want to see what he can do in terms of some of the RPO stuff. You want to put him in conflict, but it's not an athleticism problem that they have at corner. The question is health. The question is how these guys are going to com- communicate. The question is more things like that in a new in a new defense in game one. So, and then you've got uh Mekhi Gardner, uh, who uh Florida State kicked the tires on the uh the ULL transfer six two two seventeen at at corner. And, you know, he's a guy that I'm not sure how well he he transitions. I mean, I think he's He's a he's a big, long guy. And again, 217 is awfully big for a corner. You want to make him move a little bit, maybe double move him when he's in there. See see how well he really runs at that size. But again, they got five guys at those corner spots and they're all transfers. To me, that that suggests you're going to see a lot of one on one stuff and they're going to try to let their athletes win on the outside and try to keep it simple for them. less communication if I'm Norvell, I want to use a lot of different formations, a lot of different motions and things like that on the edge to force those guys to communicate. Because if you can get a bust, all of a sudden you've changed the scoreboard without having to worry about having a big matchup advantage. So this is where I think you also want to have those guys uh, force them to tackle in space. And again, block the corners and then force the, cor- force the safeties to tackle. The corners are all basically over 200 pounds. The safeties are under. 190 pounds now fouché the the safety the transfer from uh from uh from arkansas is a little bigger but i think you want to use a lot of the screen game if you can to put some pressure on them and then you know maybe you run some slip stuff and 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 some uh switch route concepts where you have outside and inside uh switching switching spots on some verticals force those guys to communicate, I think, in game one, in a new defensive system with a bunch of transfers. I think that's what you're going to try to do to try to create some big plays. So for me, this game on this side of the ball is going to boil down to can Florida State get enough of a stalemate against that front four? And specifically, can the center spot hold up against a good set of defensive tackles? And can Turnatine handle the edge at, at offensive tackle? I mean, is that is are they going to basically have to just abandon being able to single block that outside? Is Turnitine basically going to be a turn style? Is the question. Now, he reportedly had a good week of practice, finished well, and he has got some SEC experience and, and playing some really good defenses, but is he going to be able to just hold up enough to give sufficient time for attacking this this LSU defense downfield and if so that that works that that, that's going to go a long way and then the other thing is can Florida State take advantage of some first game mistakes from the patchwork crew in the secondary again I expect a lot of one-on-one coverage and for that the question is can Florida State's wide receivers win matchups this year that they did not win last year are the transfers, and, you know, that's really at this point, Micah Pittman and Deuce Span are the, are the only healthy transfers. This is a game that, man, it really would have helped to have Winston Wright in this game. But can those receivers, can Deuce Span get loose, l- loose deep? Can, you know, maybe a Poitier, can he make some plays? They're going to get some one-on-one coverage. Can they win those one-on-one matchups? Is Johnny Wilson going to be healthy enough to to do anything on the edge? Now, this game, I think, is going to show how much improvement Florida State has made on the offensive line and at the wide receiver spot. It's going to communicate a lot about what Florida State's ceiling is this year. Now, I think special teams are total crapshoot. Both teams have really good punters and questions everywhere else. So flip a coin, folks. Don't really know what to expect there. So to sum this up, to wrap up the whole the whole thing, what I'm confident about is Florida State's going to find ways to run the football against against LSU. I think Florida State's going to have some success in the ground. I, I would I, I think Florida State's going to find ways. I think there'll be over 200 rushing yards in this game. Now, I do think LSU is aware that they're going to find way that Florida State will find ways to run the football. And they're going to sell out to keep Jordan Travis legs contained. So they're going to they're gonna load the box. They're going to bring that extra safety down a bunch. And that's going to lead to a lot of one-on-one matchup opportunities in the passing game. I think one thing you're going to see a lot of is, you know, Florida State's going to try to find ways to use RPO glance routes when those safeties come down. You're going to see those RPO glance routes, and there's going to be some chess gaming out there. Can FSU's receivers win those glance routes, those sort of, deeper slant routes behind the, behind the second level. Can they win those in the one-on-one situations against those corners? You're going to see a lot of those. You're going to see some back shoulder type throws when, when the box is loaded and it's an RPO and it'll, it, it'll look like it was a designed back shoulder type throw, but you're going to see that just based on alignment that LSU's putting too many guys in the box and Florida state won't run it. Are they going to be able to win some of those matchups? but they're going to i think they'll find ways to to run the football and i think LSU is aware of that and they're going to find ways to they're going to sell out to keep Travis Legs contained more than anything else. And i think i'm i'm also confident that Norvell is going to scheme up at least one shot play that really should score. It's just a matter of whether or not they they connect on it. But there's going to be somebody running free at some point against this secondary. There's going to be a couple busts. Another thing i'm confident about. I think LSU is going to have trouble Running the ball with their running backs, I don't think they're going to have you know 200 rushing yards with their running backs. Instead, I think I'm, I'm pretty confident LSU is going to throw it more than 30, 35 times. I think they're going to air it out, and to me, that means that LSU is going to depend on Daniel's legs to put pressure on on FSU. So I don't think they're going to run it a bunch with. I don't think they're going to have it a bunch of success with their running backs, but Daniel's with his legs is really going to be sort of the key to the game for Florida state's defense. And so what that boils down to is which line is uh, in terms of uncertainty, which offensive line is going to be able to hold up better against the defensive line. The line of scrimmage is, is in question in this game. I think, I think both defensive lines have edges but how big is that edge going to be? I, I think at this stage, I would say LSU is in overall better shape due to the injury situation. But again, it's a, it's a totally new five and a new offense. So you, you just can't be sure. I would I would guess that LSU is going to hold up better, but I you, you can't be sure. I think that's very uncertain. I think how the LSU wide receivers fare against FSU's DBs is uncertain. That should be a strength versus strength. But LSU's strength is a I think a better strength and is a more reliable strength, especially again, we don't know really what Omarion Cooper's situation is going into this game. If he's playing and he's he's fully healthy, you feel good about it. But yeah, that's I think this is a strength versus strength, but how much does LSU's strength win by against FSU's strength in the secondary? And then you have the transfers versus transfers matchup of Florida State's wide receivers against LSU's DBs. And again, Winston Wright and a, and a fully healthy Johnny Wilson would have really helped a lot here. I think coming out of the Duquesne game because of Wilson's injury and because of uh Omari and Cooper, knowing that Cooper is not entirely healthy, this game looks less... It doesn't look as good for Florida State as it did two weeks ago. Because again, when you have Johnny Wilson when you have Cooper on the edge, that, that really helps mitigate some of LSU's athletic strengths in terms of, of out wide. Then in, ter- then in terms of uncertainty, how much of an edge is it that this is Mike Norvell's third year in building this program versus Brian Kelly's first year trying to rebuild an LSU team that has tons of, tons of talent, but also lots of moving pieces and you know trying to rebuild some culture? So to me, this game is really a coin flip game. It still is. I don't feel as as good about FSU winning this as I I would have two weeks ago. Because again, it's hard to bet against more talent and better health, (laughs) right? LSU has more talent and better health. So yeah, not ideal. But I do think that there's a lot to turn around in one offseason for Brian Kelly. And with this being game one, there's going to be some cleanup stuff. There's going to be some stuff to fix, and I, I think ultimately that's that's where I just keep coming back to that. And I think we're going to see some a few key breakdowns and mistakes for LSU in this game. You know, key turnover from from the quarterback. Uh, you know, a key break, a uh, key bust in the secondary, that sort of thing. I think a couple of those sorts of things are going to be the things that ultimately turn and decide this game. And so I I think it's a coin flip game. But just on the strength of that and on the strength of, I think, FSU culturally and in terms of consistency across the board is in a little better place right now than LSU should be than what I expect them to be under Brian Kelly in game one. He's a really good coach. They have put together a really good staff. It's just hard to do. So I'm going to go with Florida State to win this game. I think it's going to be very close, but this game could be this good game could be 14 points in either direction. I mean, LSU could win this game comfortably. Florida State could potentially win this game comfortably. I wouldn't be surprised by either outcome. I think it's a coin flip game, but I'm going to go with Florida State winning the game 27-24. I think this is going to be must see TV. A little envious of those who are going to be in the Superdome, but uh, this this is going to be fun, and we're gonna we're gonna get to see if Mike Norvell can get a bit of a signature win at the beginning of his third season as the uh, as the Florida State head coach and you know that would really establish a lot of momentum. So this is an important game for the program. It's going to be really interesting. We'll go ahead and wrap there. I'm Jason Staples. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and The Unconquered Podcast Shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.